Hello and welcome back to the Millennial Ag Podcast, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us this week, your co-hosts, Valine Cawhorn and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, welcome back to this week's episode. Um, we are diving into our main mental health series, and I'm super excited to have a really close family friend um, on, um, Mrs. Karen Hall, who's a middle school um, counselor here in Southern Idaho joining us to talk about mental health in rural America and specifically in the school district. So thank you so much, Sharon, for um, joining us this week. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Do you want to, um, how about we start off, what kind of, what's your background and how did you get into becoming a middle school counselor? Well, I have spent my whole career in education I spent 20 years in the classroom as a secondary science teacher in various school districts around Southern Idaho. And I hit a point in my career uh, where I needed a change. And at the time I thought about getting completely out of education. Uh, I was suffering from a little bit of burnout uh, and I have always been drawn to mental health care and had a dear friend who was a counselor who also owned an agency and she gave me some mentorship and direction. And I ended up and joined a cohort from Northwest Nazarene University that was happening in the Magic Valley for both school counseling and clinical counseling. And I started taking classes with the intent of leaving education and becoming a clinical counselor. And I had a very good professor who had done both, who gave me some advice and told me that if I became a school counselor, if I took all of the school counseling classes, I would still have my private license and could do private counseling on the side or when I retire, uh, but I would also be employable by the schools. And so I went ahead and did that still without the intent of working in the schools. And that's really basically the majority of my work has been in the schools the last 10 years. As a middle school counselor, I've done some private counseling on the side, but uh, you know, I made that leap from teaching to counseling. And I'm really glad I'm kind of at the last couple years of my career. And this has been a really good way to spend the last 10 years. And then going to be looking at probably doing some private counseling after I retire from school counseling. Very good. I think it's, I can't imagine what it's like in the middle school counseling world, just in the fact that I remember what I was like as a middle schooler. There is never a dull moment. These middle schoolers have all sorts of stuff going on. And so I'm never bored. That's for sure. This is such a fun age because these kids are still little kids, but they're also growing and changing. And it's just uh, a real honor for me to be able to work with kids of this age group. This is my preferred age group. And so uh, I'm in the perfect position, position really working uh, with these kids. They keep me busy. There's never a, a dull moment in. <laughs> so Karen, tell us, um, I'm curious, you've, you've been um, in the field for 10 years. That's a good chunk of experience. I'm curious to hear, you know, we hear about mental health, mental health, mental health, um, especially as the pandemic is, you know, 
as it started out and went on, um, it seems like mental health issues shot up, rates of mental health diagnoses went up, um, you know, especially affecting young people. Can you tell us about what it was like when you first started in this field and then compare it to what you're seeing now? Okay, so so I started in 2013 uh, as, as a school counselor. Uh, and like I said, before that, I spent 20 years in the classroom. Um, it seems when I began school counseling, I was doing a lot of in-class presentations, working some one-on-one -on -one with kiddos, not a lot of crisis. It seems like now it's the other, it's kind of swung the other way. I do a lot of crisis. I do a lot of um, kind of triage with kids. Uh, some days I might do, you know, three or four suicide assessments, um, be calling parents to pick up kids, uh, referring them to the emergency room, or if they have a private counselor, there seems to be a lot more of that, uh, you know, in the last few years, and especially this year. I think some of it is maybe I have made more connections with kids so that kids um, open up to me more than they did at the start, for sure. But I think statistics show that there has been an uptick in mental health issues among our adolescents uh, in the last few years. And then along with that, there's a huge need for mental health clinicians out in the community to do long term you know, mental health care with adolescents. And we don't have you know, we don't have a crisis center that kids can walk into. I hear those are coming for adolescents, but right now we only have, you know, an adult crisis center. So when I have a kid that's in crisis, especially a student who might be talking about suicide or having some suicidal ideations, uh, I don't really have a whole lot of resources for parents unless it is go to the emergency room See if you can get a hold of a private counselor. Hopefully, the parents have access to one. Um, you know, otherwise, we have some phone numbers that they can call for assistance. But there's not a lot of resources in the area. Um, so, so that's that's the biggest problem I feel. When I started counseling, if I had a kiddo I needed to refer to a private counselor, I could get them in within a few weeks. If it was something imminent that they needed seen for, I could probably give them a couple of referrals and the parent could get them an appointment within a day or two. Uh, now there's waiting lists of months and months. That's just heartbreaking because I know when you're like when you're in those situations, you need help now and a lot of things can change. Like you're talking weeks and months. It's a lot can change in that that time frame for those for those kids or those parents and when you're not when you're a parent and not trained in that situation how do you how do you best support your child in that in that role exactly and i my heart goes out to parents because i don't have a lot of places to send them my best advice is to get on as many waiting lists as possible let them know this is a problem that your child needs seen you know, right away. Uh, we have a few partnerships in our district. Uh, we just started one with BPA Health, which is exciting. 
that hopefully will open up some mental health care for kids in a more timely manner. But uh, around our area, it's, it's a huge problem for both adolescents and adults. And you know, if you have a sudden death in the family, you need somebody to help you with grief now, not six months down the road. You know, six months down the road, great, but right now is when it's really needed. Something like that. If a student is self-harming or talking about suicide, uh, they need some help now. So, you know, those clinicians just aren't available. And I don't think it's just our area. I think it's throughout the whole state, uh, possibly also, you know, in the Western states in general. So I think a huge need and, and not a lot of practitioners. So, you know, I have 500 kids. I am a clinical counselor. I can help kids, but my role isn't to work with kids long-term. My role is to help them with their academics you know, help, help them with their mental health care as well as it applies to their academics. Um, so, you know, I can, you know, maybe fill in some gaps, maybe help with some crisis, but my job isn't to help them 45 minutes a week long-term. Uh, they need an outside counselor to do that and they're just not available right now. So going yeah, back, go ahead, Belle. I was going to say, hopping back a little bit to the uptick in crises that you were talking about um, from the time you started to now, what do you think is the root cause of that? Or why are we seeing, I mean, we see it all across the news too. You know, we had another terrible shooting down in Texas and a car rage and, you know, things like that are just all over. And it's, for me, it's, it stems in mental, mental health struggles and and not thinking clearly but why why do you think we're seeing it tick in the crisis level of mental health right now i don't know you know i would like to see some studies and some statistics about that uh i i just have my own observations um i feel like you know i i wish we had a better way of building resiliency in kids so that uh, you know they're able to get through hard times without, you know, going to a place where they're thinking of or talking about ending their lives or turning to self-harm or, or other activities that are going to affect them in a negative manner, um, whether it's substances or activities that aren't very positive. So, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I think it's, it's more complicated than just saying, um, it's one thing or another thing. I think it's a whole bunch of things and you throw in uh, a really stressful time with the pandemic, being out of school. Thank goodness we, we were not closed down very long. I just can't even imagine these poor kids that were out of school an extended period of time. Um, and I know kids personally who have lost family members to COVID uh, and it's, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's it's been a really stressful time and we're coming out the other end of that. But I think that the stress remains on these kids. Turn on the news and you hear stressful things. Um, families are going through a lot of stress. So I, I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly, you know, the root cause of it. I think it's more complicated than one or two different factors. 
Let's go back to the resiliency piece. That's something that we hear a lot about, um, you know, especially a lot through um, through the pandemic. That was something that I first became familiar with um, when when I was struggling really hard with with anxiety and depression several years ago. Um, and, you know, it was a totally novel concept that it was something you have to build and continue working at. Do you think that today's youth are less resilient, not able to build resiliency the way that previous generations were? Um, you know, what, tell us more about resiliency in, in young people as you see it right now. I wonder, sometimes I wonder, um, were these problems always here and we didn't talk about them as much and now we are talking more about them and so they're coming out to the forefront and getting recognition if that's the case i don't i certainly don't think it's a bad thing uh, but i do feel like maybe there is a resiliency piece that's missing in some kids where they have a difficult time seeing that tomorrow is going to be better, that the way I feel right now isn't going to last. And I'm not sure what you can do to build that resiliency. Um, I think parents are under a lot of pressure. Families are under a lot of pressure. And sometimes we overlook the fact that, and I'm guilty of it as well, uh, overlook the fact that maybe our kids are struggling or we have a lot of, we're ourselves putting a lot of pressure on them and this next event, this next grade, this next activity, uh, if I don't do my best or I don't pass or I don't make the team or whatever, it becomes, you know, the end all to that kid and it's hard for them to find the positive in that negative situation. So I struggle with it as a parent and um, I'm, I'm not sure how to instill that resiliency in kids that are missing it. I'm, I'm honestly, I go from crisis to crisis sometimes and I'm not, I'm not sure how to change in the short time that I see these kids, how to change their thinking from um, there is no hope to, you know what, tomorrow's a new day and bad times are temporary. Well, and it's don't trying to go from a reactive mode, like when you're in crisis to reacting, to being a little more proactive and preparing your thoughts for dealing with that. You know, it's a mental health and resiliency for me as a day-to-day -day practice. And some days are better than others, right. you know, and it's, it's trying to find that time and place to, to practice it too. And knowing that you've gone through it enough times to make it through one more time, you know, you can make it through today, but when you're always in the, and you only get them for 30 minutes at a time or whatever it may be. And it's just crisis. It's hard to get that proactive -ness in place. Well, and, and we're, we're real fortunate at our school. We are participants in something called the AWARE grant, uh, which is a multifaceted grant, but part of it goes to a program called SOS, which is uh, Sources of Strength. And it is a, 
uh, peer mentoring group that is focusing on different strengths that get us through hard times. And so it's we're we're the adult leaders of these peer leaders, but then they go out and they teach lessons to their classmates and work with classmates and do things called campaigns where they focus on these dis different strengths. And the verbiage is how do you make it through bad times? You know, what is the strength that you relied on to help you through that bad time? And so this is an evidence-based program that we've put into our school and there's quite a few programs similar to this elsewhere. And I think that those are a more proactive way of uh, hitting more kids and helping them find the strength within themselves. So we just did a campaign about um, you belong and they focused on all the different things that you belong to, all the different groups that you belong to, such as family, community, basketball, so athletic groups, uh, your classes, uh, your different clubs, things like that. And just to help remind kids, you know, you belong to all these different places and you mean something to all these different groups. So things like that, I think are more proactive. When you're busy working with crisis one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you don't have time to do those things. And that, that is part of the frustration is I would like to do more group type things, more proactive things, um, but I'm tied up a lot with the crisis end of it, which one, one kid in crisis will take up a lot of your time. And I have almost 500 kids. So, you know, that's a lot. Yeah, that is, that's one, one counselor per 500 is, that's a, a massive workload and a lot of kids to worry about for one person, for sure. Well, and, and I'm also in charge of a lot of different things that are not just mental health care either. Uh, with part of our grant that our school has, it provides us with a clinical counselor that works throughout the whole district. That counselor just does mental health care. And they do do like the 45 minute sessions with these kids, which is wonderful because normally if a kid needs outside mental health care, you, you take whatever time slot is available. And that might be at two o'clock in the afternoon. And that might be when that kid has math, right? And so they're missing math once a week, which impacts their academics. Uh, mom has to take off work to go pick up the kid, take them to counseling, whatever. And it's huge and it's huge for the family and it's huge for that kid. When we have a clinical counselor who's housed in our building, they can look at the kid's schedule. They can pull them during an elective. Uh, mom doesn't have to take off work, so it doesn't impact the family and their resources that way. And the kid isn't missing math once a week. They're missing an elective where it's easier to make up the work or whatever. Um, the negative side of it is that Last year, we had a full-time clinical counselor that we shared throughout the district, and she took a different position in a different district, and they have not been able to rehire. So we've not had anybody in that position the entire year. So, you know, that's one resource that we've lost just because there's not anybody out there to take the job. Um, I'm also in charge of 504s. I'm in charge of uh, the IDLA classes. I have other duties, including helping with count, with uh, scheduling and things like that, um, that 
take me away from working with kids on mental health care. So, you know, I mean, the amount of time allotted to do mental health care isn't 100% of my time. Yeah, that's, that's really hard. Um, but, and, and as you say, there's, there just aren't enough people out there. Um, you know, that's what we, we hear throughout the industry. Um, even, I don't know, there just aren't enough healthcare providers, it seems like anyway, and then you throw in the rural component and that just compounds the problem. Um, and speaking of the rural component, I'm, I'm not sure that you've worked in an urban environment, but do you think being in a rural setting or coming from an agricultural community um, might, might have an impact on, on mental health? Um, because, you know, in agriculture, mental health is definitely something that's swept under the rug, um, especially given what the average demographic is of, of you know, producers. Um, so I'm curious if, if you see a correlation there. You know, I, and again, I don't have any statistics about it. Um, I have worked in bigger schools. I would say that our school have started out being more rural. Uh, and I think that we are morphing into not so rural anymore. I would say, I think, I don't know the exact numbers, but we're probably, oh, close to 2,000 kids, maybe, yeah, right around 2,000 kids. So we're, I would say, a bigger school district now compared to where we were you know, even when I began and our building being almost 500 kids, uh, I started out here when it was like 350, 325. So there's been quite a lot of growth that way. Uh, I think that oh, a lot of the kids that I see coming from an agricultural background are often involved in the FFA program. And I feel as if, at least in our district, we have a very strong FFA program. And I think that that gives the kids a lot of leadership skills. It gives them something that they belong to. It gives them something to do. And I see kids grow in their confidence, their maturity and, and their partic participation and I think that that's a good thing mental health wise. Um, I don't know if surrounding districts that are more urban have such a flourishing program. Um, so, but I, they probably don't have the need for it because, you know, they don't have maybe the farm kids that are wanting to be involved that way. I do know with our FFA program, kids are involved that don't have an ag background as well and they get so much from the program so I think um, you know if kids can find their niche if they can find how they belong if they can find something that gives them confidence I just think that that helps build their mental health uh, and makes them stronger as a person so uh, I my own my own kids were very involved in FFA and it has done nothing but benefit them so that, that's one thing I can say about kids from, you know, a more rural background. I feel like a mental health across the board, and especially, you know, the crisis I deal with is basically um, 
you know, the suicidal ideation or perhaps self-harm. And it seems as if the problems are pretty common across the board, whether you live in town, out of town, on a farm, you know, high income, low income. And I think nationwide, the statistics reflect that. Um, there might be some groups of people that would have higher incidence uh, of problems with, with um, suicides and suicide, suicidal ideation, but I think for the most part, um, you know, it doesn't discriminate whether you're uh, urban or rural or uh, on a farm or in the middle of the city. And I, um, you know, and I think maybe the biggest difference um, is just going back to your lack of resources in rural areas, you know, and that's the urban areas may have a few more clinicians or available resources to help help with those crises. And it seems a little more catastrophic when you don't have a place to go or some resources. And I don't know what you think um, the solution is, you know, is it, wh where do we get more resources? Can we tap into some telehealth? Can we tap into, you know, getting, you know, having that additional counselor in your in your building was beneficial but then that they quit and you know there's not enough clinicians even in the system right right I know that um I think that I've heard from parents that as they call and get on waiting lists they are asked if you would uh, if you would agree to doing telehealth if you would agree to doing telehealth, then they could maybe get you in a little bit faster. So we're not completely rural. So, you know, I mean, I think most people prefer to have a face-to-face -face counselor, at least the people I talk to, but I could see if you're in a really isolated area uh, or you're not able to get out and travel like some people are, um, telehealth is you know, a great way to have a re, you know, to have a clinician as a resource that you maybe wouldn't otherwise, um, because you can see a face and you can make that connection that you couldn't make if it was over the phone, which would be your only other option, right? Um, so we do have uh, some things available for families that involve telehealth. So I think you know, that's, that's better than not having any help, help at all. And some people might really prefer that as well. So um, I, I think that's something that has been on the uptick since um, COVID and lockdowns and all of that. And I think that's a positive thing to come out of that. So, so I'm, uh, you know, the, the more resources, the better. And if that's what's available and somebody needs help, then great. So uh, I, I'm a proponent of it. Well, Karen, we really appreciate this conversation with you. It's, you know, Valen and I, we've had our, our own dealings and challenges with mental health and, you know, we're in agriculture and that's where we see it and where we're concerned about it. But the conversation needs to be had everywhere all the time. And we really appreciate you bringing this, this perspective on, onto the Millennial Ag podcast. Um, before we let you go, again, thank you for being so generous with your time and your viewpoints. Is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know? Um, 
you know, I think we have a lot of, of media attention and we have a lot of, um, I guess, an overall feeling that right now, uh, in this point in time, you know, that kids are turning to, you know, death by suicide, um, you know, in large numbers. And I have been to a couple of trainings lately where, you know, the message needs to be that those numbers are low. Perhaps it has risen in the last few years, but still in general, those numbers are low. And so what we need to remember and the message we need to get to our families and kids is that there's a lot of kids that feel pretty alone, that have some really dark thoughts that find another way and find a solution and get help and feel better. And I think that that is the resounding message is that there's help out there and there are other choices and the way you feel right now is not the way you're going to feel tomorrow. So um, I know that sometimes it seems that it, I'm overwhelmed with kids that are in crisis, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, the number of kids that, that make a choice that actually ends their life is, is low, very, very low. Um, heartbreaking, one is heartbreaking, but um, the message that we need to give our kids is you might be feeling pretty desolate and alone right now, but that's not going to last. And other people have gotten help and you can too. I love that. And I, I'm so thankful that at least one of our school districts has, has you to lean on at least for a couple more years. Uh, you know what? I, I gotta tell you, there's a lot of wonderful counselors out there um, that are in the trenches working with kids, with their academics, with their career goals, with their mental health, and uh, they all deserve a, a big pat on the back. This week, however, is Teacher Appreciation Week. My job is 100% uh, to support the staff, the teachers that are in the trenches every day teaching those kids uh, and to support the kids so that they can go in the classroom and they can meet their academic goals. So, uh, you know, if you run into a teacher this week, tell them thank you because um, they are truly the heroes. They are, and it builds, I mean, kids are the foundation of our future, you know, and they're the ones that are going to be in, in, in the world doing great things, and I think reminding, reminding them, reminding the teachers, reminding you that we're all, we're all in this together, and we're all building a great, great future, I think sometimes gets lost in, in the negativity that, that surrounds everything that's going on, and all the all the news and information we can consume too, um, I think can be a little overwhelming and, and negative at times. So I appreciate bringing that positivity um, to our podcast. Well, and we have wonderful kids out there. Um, some of them are struggling and go through rough times, uh, but they're all great kids. And I think that um, even though we have some challenges, 
I think that the next generation is going to do great things. The generation that we're educating right now, you know, when they graduate and go out into the world, they're going to do great things. For those of us that are uh, at the end of our careers and they're going to be, um, you know, going on without us. So. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Karen, for joining us. And thank you listeners for tuning in to this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or email us at talktous at millennialag.com. Till next week, we are Millennial Ag. Bye.